Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today's film is going to be very difficult to discuss because we can't say it. We can't, can't even think name. it. Don't say it. Don't think it. Don't say it. Don't think it. You guys, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, <gasps> which re- it requires thinking it. We watched The Bye Bye Man from 2017. And this is a movie all about not saying it and not thinking it. And I just did both. Yeah. And you did it to me. So now you've infested me mm-hmm. with the name. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. He listens for his name and goes toward it. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets close enough, he can hear you just thinking his name. Yeah. I think is what they said. Well, and then we saw at the end of the movie, spoilers, that the kid was compulsively saying it. So, like, maybe he was being controlled to do that somewhat. Well, you know, it's like any virus wants to spread like the point of it is that it wants to spread so part of what he does is make you have to say it and think it and write it and yeah but also apparently he makes you hallucinate things yeah that's a huge part of the movie is we don't know what's really happening because it keeps showing us without any kind of clues it just shows things happening and you have to figure out okay that didn't really happen he was just imagining that because it makes you see things i mean it got to the point where i knew what was a hallucination and wasn't what wasn't because anything that moved the plot forward was imaginary (laughs) huh interesting there's a tradition It's not a super common tradition, but there's a tradition of movies about memes, about mind viruses. And Pontypool is one I reviewed a long time ago, which was well done. It was basically like a zombie movie, but you get caught by a certain word and you keep repeating it and you can't do anything else. Hmm. And I totally just blanked on the one I was thinking of. So there's a couple others. So it didn't mind virus you then? No, I, I... avoided it thankfully i thought you were gonna say there's a tradition of movies where you can't say something like that's a fairly common horror trope yeah well in fact one of my one of my notes was this feels a lot like Candyman. it feels Mm -hmm. like it was inspired by Candyman. Mm -hmm. it's not the same system but same idea yeah well and there's lots like you know bloody mary mm-hmm. beetlejuice like there's lots of voldemort you know <laughs> you're not supposed to say the names of bad guys because apparently bad guys this goes back to ancient babylonian tradition as we all know um the idea that names have power that when you know the name of something that gives it power or traditionally gives you power over it but in these cases we've kind of flipped it on his head so it's i mean i i get that you're kind of making a joke there like definitely that was being facetious facetiously deep but 
I, I mean, I think you're right. I think there is a long-standing tradition of names having power. But yeah, this feels like a script flip of that tradition, because the tradition is usually you want to keep your name from people because it gives them power yeah. over you. Which that's kind of a fun thing. We should see more of that, like as like a serious, not serious, but like a intense issue in movies. That's a fun horror I idea. You meant maybe just in real life, like we should just see. Yeah, just stop telling people names. People, anybody who asks me my name from now on, I'm going to be like, rude. It's terrible. Gross. What's your name? Right? I'm going to start shouting it everywhere. Jeez. It's just one more step in the anti-socialism <laughs> of Soli. That's very <laughs> anti-social. <laughs> in the anti-socialization of Soli. So one thing that disappointed me about this movie is that he has a very distinctive face. He has a distinctive mm-hmm. dress, much like the hooded sweatshirt that you're wearing right now. You kind mm-hmm. of look a little like him in the, this <gasps> moment. <gasps> And here you were saying his name all over the place. I can't help dressing like this. It's just what I'm doing. Um, so he's very distinctive. He rides a train. I guess. I mean, we hear a train. We saw pictures. There is a train. John, when John was like all like zoned out in class and looking at those moving pictures on his oh, phone, yes. which he was shocked to see were there. <laughs> he was shocked I mean, to see moving pictures on his phone. <laughs> right? I think that I think there's some story there. And oh, and he travels with a demon dog. Yeah. Which what was sort that of, about? Sort of had a gatekeeper keymaster vibe. <laughs> sure. But like there was so much that was very distinctive about him, and yet they made zero effort to explain any of it. Right. We didn't hear any background of the actual bad guy. He like just springs out of nowhere. Well, yeah, we had this back. The background was this journalist who investigated. I might be misinterpreting this, but I think what the journalist was investigating was a case where this happened, where the, yes. someone knew the name and got a, a murdered. Yes, way back in the past. So that does. So it doesn't come from anywhere. I mean, no. it must, but right. It doesn't go back far enough. It's like, oh, you know. You're getting it from this journalist who got it from this teenager, but then that was it. It doesn't go back any further. He got it from somewhere. And there could have been something. Like, why yeah. is there fire? Why is there... Why is there a train? Any of it. Well, and they kept showing these, like, flashbacks kind of scenes of we're looking at train tracks, like we're rolling down them, and there's a bunch of stuff everywhere, like stuff that had fallen out of the train, I guess, like books and pictures and things laying all over the ground. Apparently. That seems I, to I mean know. something. I, I I really wanted some of that story. I wanted to know why is this guy chasing down and driving insane everyone who knows his name? Yeah. And I guess we haven't really specified, but the uh, whole thing where he gets closer and closer, eventually you die. But he doesn't kill you. He causes you to murder people and kill yourself or get killed which again going back to that like the basic premise is that it's virus like in that his whole goal is to get you to say his name to more people so that there are more people that he can infect so he shouldn't be too lethal exactly like the fact that he makes people murder everyone yeah. I mean, also, they act like it was this big, shocking, oh my gosh, nobody's ever thought of this idea that you could go and kill all the people you said the name to to put an end to it. But two of the, th- no, three of the three people we know <laughs> of who got infected did exactly that. So Yeah, like, I mean, that seems to be the actual 
process, but then it cuts itself off by doing that. And they make a point of Elliot, the most recent person who finds his name and starts this cycle, comes to this decision that all you have to do is not be afraid and then it will be fine. But then he completely fails to follow through on that in any way. It doesn't go anywhere. He he, he did a couple, like he ignored a couple of the illusions and then that was it. Mm Mm-hmm. This has a fundamental problem that movies of this type have where, you know, for example, in this movie, it's once you've seen his name, then you're stuck, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of movies like that. Like, you know, in in The Ring, you had to see the videotape or whatever. Right. And then you had to pass it on to somebody else or you would die, which there's an interesting question. Like, that's an ethical conundrum right there. (laughs) But the problem is... How do you get that first person to see it in the movie? And it would be fine, like, in the ring, I think someone just, you know, like, had been sent it by someone else. It was a chain of events. Right. In this one, it does the thing that most of these movies do, which is the bye-bye man, sorry to say his name, somehow is exerting magical influence before anyone has seen or heard his name. You know, like, he made these little coins clink and... The doors sure. open and stuff. So it's like, he's already there. He's already well, got some power. So I think he was already attached to that house somehow because that because drawer, drawer that had his name written in it. So really the drawer was haunted. I think, yeah. Like, I think at that point. So this brings up a really, like, one of my let's take this movie too seriously points. Yes. Okay. When Elliot is doing research in the library, where he seems to understand the situation well enough that he should know better than to say the name of this guy to the librarian. Yes. Like, at the point that he says it, I'm like, what the heck did you just do? Like, Mm -hmm. stop that. Anyway, and then she goes on to kill her children. Like, that was a whole, like, he, I blame Elliot for all of that. Sure. That little side track. Okay. Anyway, during their conversation. The librarian says something about how if you erase all evidence of something from the past, it didn't happen. Yeah. What do you think of that philosophical stance? Well, I mean, it's definitely not true. (laughs) Not even a little bit. But, I mean, there's a basis for it. Like, if nobody knows it happened, then it doesn't affect, you know, current culture, current ideas and thinking. So that's an issue. Okay, so my way too serious connect this to all the terrible things happening in the world. Yes. Is that that's a very, like, white supremacist colonizer way of approaching the world. Uh If we don't talk about the terrible things we did that caused the Alamo to happen, then we can just call that one of our, you know, heroic moments in Texas history. If we outlaw teaching about it, for example. Exactly. Like this whole thing about critical race theory and how there's this whole group of people who are upset with the idea that we're teaching that... We've done bad things in the past. Yeah, we should probably know about those. Like, they're straight up offended at the mention of things that make them feel bad. And they think... So weak. ...that the solution to that is to outlaw talking about things that offend them and make them feel bad. Yeah. What? And it just, like, so when I heard her say this, I'm like, oh, yeah. My thought was, I wonder how this woman felt saying this line because this was a black woman playing this librarian Mm -hmm. 
which is irrelevant in any way, except that they made her say the line that if you pretend stuff doesn't hap- didn't happen in history, it didn't happen. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It was it was upsetting to me. Like I was legitimately upset by that line. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like it really bothered me. I don't know the line that caught me, and this is much deeper than yours is when Sasha goes up. Wow, okay, okay, do go on. When Sasha goes up to Mr. Daisy, which is a weird name, yep, and tells him, we're staying in your house. It's awful. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Thanks a lot. But the thing is, it's true. Because that house, I there was one scene where somebody's walking into a room and I realized... There was no plastic cover over the light switch on the wall. It was just a bare metal light switch. Like, there's all kinds of terrible things. Also, that upstairs hallway was like two and a half feet wide. I know. And there was a hole in the ceiling in one of the bedrooms. Like, that was was an awful house. It was a messy house. I did. They showed that hallway upstairs multiple times. People frantically running down that hallway. And it was hilarious to me because they could like, if you stood in that hallway and just stuck your elbows out, (laughs) you would touch both sides. Yeah. And part of me was like, okay, so that's what they do in movies is they make hallways look long and skinny and narrow because for some reason that makes us nervous, right? Yeah. Which I'm sure has to do with like claustrophobia and the sense of feeling trapped and all that. But then I started thinking about how modern houses don't have closed in spaces like that. Like we used to build yeah, houses. Open plans. Yeah. Yes, we used to build houses with lots of like little hallways and all the rooms were separate because you needed to be able to close them off so you could heat the one room you were in. <laughs> sure. Like you did, we didn't have the efficiency to be able to heat an entire house all the time. And now we do. Or the wastefulness. Or the wastefulness. And now we do. And part of me is like, is that our like deeply held, you know, in our bones fear of darkness and claustrophobic spaces, like manifesting itself now that we have the ability to do it. We're like, yes, spread (laughs) out, give me air and light and space. And I don't want any like funky dark corners where monsters can lurk. Yeah. I mean, you think about the more modern a house is, the more it's white glass lights yep. everywhere yeah no dark corners i mean if you really think about it like modern architecture suggests very strongly that we are deeply afraid of dark enclosed spaces makes sense i mean that's kind of how we are although we started out in caves i feel like we could have just stayed outside but caves are safe so we should be like ooh, safety i mean maybe but also caves other animals think caves are safe too, so maybe caves were left safe. I don't know. Like it's it's interesting because yes, you would think dark enclosed spaces would also be, you know, there's positive to that, you know, womb-like, protective, yeah. etc. Well, it's always fun to pull the blankets up over your head and be, you know, warm and cozy and protected from monsters. Right. But I mean, modern architecture, man, I think it I think it like reflects some pretty intense species cellular yeah. fear. Yeah, that's that's going deep. Mm-hmm. 
And this is a deep movie. I had to do something to get deeper than your Mr. Daisy's house is gross thing. I can't believe she said that to him right to his face. Like she could have said, hey, there's a there's a dresser we're wondering about. No. She just shows up at his work at a nursery somewhere. Like of course, Mr. Daisy center. runs the gardening center. And she's like, your house sucks. I know. And he's like, who are you? What? Why are you telling me this? It was totally rude. He's like trying to be all nice too. He's like, oh, are you there with those two handsome boys? And, you know, he's like trying to be friendly. She's like, we hate it there. It's terrible. Also, by the way, there's this dresser and we were wondering where you got it. Yeah. So many of one of my favorite, favorite horror tropes happened in this movie. Was it when right at the beginning she said, come on, Elliot, that's not funny, which we just discussed. <laughs> no, but that was funny to me that it was funny that she Elliot. thought it wasn't funny. No, you know that I am a fan of the bus bus. Yes, bus bus is good. And there were several. Were there? there? there so Kim got train bust. I remember that. And then Mrs. Watkins, after she killed her children, was wandering down the street, and Elliot hit her because he was all proud of himself for not <laughs> stopping because, you know, and, and going guy. through the imaginary guy. And then he spent like seven minutes looking backwards and ran into her. And I feel like there was somebody else, too. But, you know, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy a good bus bus. Do you? Because you kind of freak out about it. I mean... Ah, there's two ways, though. There's two ways that I enjoy it. One way is that you can totally see it coming. Like the Kim one. I'm like, well, she's definitely going to get hit by that train. Yeah. Here it comes. I mean, they set that up well in advance. So it wasn't a surprise, but it was like the tension was building, right? Uh But then the Mrs. Watkins one was a total surprise, mostly because we didn't know she was there. And then suddenly she was there and he ran into her. I do also like the total surprise where you're completely distracted by the scene. Something else is going on and mm-hmm. you don't realize that a character just stepped backwards into the street. And that's what, they, what always they always do. do. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't do that in this movie, though. No. Although one could wonder why she was in the middle of the street. <sighs> because in horror movies, people do that. When, <laughs> apparently, when you're upset, you just wander down the middle of whatever path you find. Yeah. Which sort of makes sense. That's that safety human thing again. Yeah. Don't get to the edges where things can from, reach out and grab right, you. Right, you got to get away from the buildings and the darkness and the shadows and the trees and where the demons Open spaces, lurk. baby. So there was a series of symbols for the Bye Bye Man. There was yes. the coins that clinked on the ground. There was the train horn. And yet, we never knew why. There was no connection. Like the Candyman. Candyman was a thing. This yeah. was not a thing. I, I'm, I, yeah, I feel like that is one of the major flaws of this movie is that they did not, in any way, shape, or form, give us any background to the bad guy. And in which case, he's not real to me in that case. Like, good, good, Sully. <laughs> when you flesh out the character, you make it possible for the viewer to connect with them and to understand why they're going around doing things. And yeah. so there's like, you can follow it better. You, it, it all makes sense. It's scarier. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's kind of what I, you know, I always talk about what I look for in a ghost movie is that part where they find out the reason and try to resolve it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have that. They, they tried to have that where he went and visited the widow of the guy 
who studied the original Mm -hmm. case. And all she did was basically say, yeah, he never told me the name, so that's why I'm safe, so you're kind of screwed. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. And gives us zero backstory. Right? So he also had a demon dog, which was also totally unexplained. Mm -hmm. And this demon dog... His role in the story was to walk over to people who had been killed, not by the bye-bye man, but as a result of his right. tampering. And it would go over and it would kind of gnaw on their faces a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it was eating them, but not really. It was just kind of tasting them. Maybe give, maybe licking them like a puppy. I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. But then, but then when we finally get to see him, he doesn't really. Like he doesn't attack Sasha's body no, or he, John. Well, he like... Chewed on her face slightly. Did he? I think it was her, yeah. Uh. What was his purpose? Why did he exist? Because he was supposed to be scary, but he, he wasn't scary. really wasn't. <laughs> no. I mean, he was big and ugly and... Yeah, he was weird looking. But he wasn't used to any effect that actually resulted in me being afraid. Okay. And this is a thing, though. Here is a literary connection. This dog combined with John... In the classroom, looking at his phone, seeing the moving pictures, as we say. Yes. That called to mind very much the Stephen King short story, The Sun Dog, which was about, or it was a, it was a camera that every time you took pictures with it, mm. you'd see a dog in the pictures and he'd be moving closer and closer in the pictures. It really made me think of that because it was kind of, you know, animated pictures. And I did wonder if, you know, they were kind of just grabbing at scariness and trying to throw it in they're like what's gonna make this guy scarier and they had this idea yeah because that moving picture is also like a pennywise kind of thing i was gonna say the same thing stephen king has used that multiple times yeah the idea that you look at a still image and it changes while you're not looking at it is Mm -hmm. it it's an upsetting idea there was a wallpaper in this movie that you didn't like there was wallpaper in this movie i didn't like it was very complicated, one of those sort of like old-fashioned, lots of vines and floral motif and, and people. Like, I always think of it as sort of a very Greek, mm-hmm. you know, style, right? And for no reason whatsoever, None. we're looking at a close-up of this wallpaper that shows a couple of, like a, a guy and a creature, yeah, and the creature turns... And it's like a dog, and the dog head turns into a demon head, and it's looking out at you. Oh, yeah, that's probably the man and his dog. I'm sure it was, but, huh? What? Yeah, that what? just happened. It, huh? I don't know. It didn't have anything to do with anything. And also, why did somebody have the bad guy and his demon dog on their wallpaper? <laughs> I mean, they didn't. They, they only had it in the same sense that they had the cloak hanging in that room, which was also the bye-bye man. You know, like, he be- he became out of the woodwork. Yeah, which, like you pointed out, the very first night that he woke up and thought there was somebody <laughs> standing there, and it turned out it was just this, like, really long, weird hooded cloak that he has. It was his Holocaust cloak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I would have put the Holocaust cloak somewhere else. And you he didn't. Think. He just left it hanging there so that the bye-bye man... Oh, no, you said it. I was going to try not to say it through the whole episode. <laughs> Oh, I'm so angry at myself. (sighs) You want to edit that? No. Uh, No, I would have moved that cloak immediately, and he did not. He just let the guy keep showing up every night 
mm-hmm. the same spot. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But also, why does he have a Holocaust cloak? I don't know. I feel like that implies he's in some kind of cult. I'm glad it wasn't a white robe. Right? We've had enough of that. Yeah. (laughs) There was another idea presented, another philosophical idea presented. Um, As Elliot is being questioned for the death of Kim, Mm -hmm. because from an outsider's perspective, it looks like Elliot chases Kim in front of the train. Yes, wielding a bloody hammer. Wielding a bloody hammer, yes. He was not doing that. He was trying to save her. Mm-hmm. She was running away from him, which, I mean, really, like, was it that bizarre for them to think that he was running toward her to try to stop her? Well, like, people do that. Yeah, but the thing about it was that he was holding the hammer, which, when you look at how they really contrived that in the movie. Like, yes, it, it they was did. really weird that he picked up the hammer. I mean, that wasn't weird, but that he then ran carrying it. Yes. Like, Yes. There was no reason except to make it look like he was a killer. Yes. So anyway, he's being accused of, you know, intentionally causing this to happen. So he's being questioned by Trinity from The Matrix. Yeah, just as you would. And she says, you know, she's like, just tell me, just tell me. It's like, if you just tell me, everything will be better. And he's like, you're wrong. No, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you. And it brings up the question of, is it ever okay to lie? And he has an interesting example of why it definitely would be okay. A great example, you know, about about her job being, you know, full of horrific things. And when her children asks about her day, she doesn't tell them the truth. She tells them a variation of the truth or she distracts or she, you know, whatever. So it had me thinking about where that line is. Like, we know, like, as humans, we often lie to each other. Sure. And there seems to be this idea, there's this sort of general sense that there's a line, right? Where on one side it's okay and on the other side it's not. Where is that line? That is adjustable. There's there's no one line. I mean, in his very example, he was like, you know, you wouldn't tell your children about the terrible murders you're seeing. And that's true, but she's not his children. She's an adult investigating a crime. Of course he should be telling her the truth. So I mean, it doesn't really apply at all. Well, except that in in she doesn't realize it, but well, he yes. is protecting her by not telling her the truth. In which, you know, this this sort of the same thing with the children. Like they wouldn't realize necessarily if she if they found out she lied about what she was doing, if she's like, I can't tell you what I did today, they would be upset because yeah. they don't recognize the way she's protecting them. Yeah. Here's a thing, though. Why did it matter? Like, he could have told her the whole situation and been like, and the name is Jim Jim Golly. And, you know, she's totally safe then, and she knows the story. Not that the story's believable, but, you That's know. That's a totally good point, and I had not thought name? of that at all. Like, just use a nickname. Mm-hmm. Put a pseudonym. I got ideas. I don't know why I never thought of that, because I literally was like, ooh, I almost told you last night... When we record this, we should not say the actual name <laughs> at any point, and we should be like, so the movie we watched was called The Goodbye Guy, but it wasn't. It was name. something like close that. to that. That sounds like a Greg Kinnear movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sort of felt like that whole scene was stuck in there so that they could have this like philosophical discussion about whether yeah. lying is okay. It was interesting. I, I liked his example. Yeah. The goodbye guy. 
he would apply pressure to these people via hallucinations and kind of just getting in their head too and giving them ideas somehow. Yeah. And it was different for Elliot. There was the fear that his friend John was stealing his girlfriend, Sasha. Yep. For John, it was everybody's into him. Yeah, he like every hallucination every hallucination he had was some female coming on to him. Yeah. So I mean in at its core that was trying to get him and Sasha together to cause Elliot to kill them. Yeah. And vice versa and whatever. But I would also like to point out is sort of racist because of yeah. the whole hypersexualization of black people. It was questionable and it was weird. But then for Sasha, she was sick. Yeah, she had like the flu. Yeah, and I and it got to where I was wondering, like, is this just a coincidence? Did she just have the flu and then this whole thing started? And what point did it serve in this plot that she was sick? I don't know what well, was going on. She also hallucinated. It wasn't even hallucinations, though. Like, the other part of it was that she seemed to be afraid that Elliot was going to leave her or, like, yeah. didn't like her anymore. But the thing is, none of the things she experienced around that were actually hallucinations. <laughs> At one point, he showed up late. Yeah. And he really did show up late. At another point, well, okay, here's a hallucination. She thought Elliot was, like, trying to escape from her and was afraid of her and wouldn't, like, was telling her to stay away. But what she thought was Elliot was actually John. And yeah, what John was... was seeing wasn't her, but was Kim post-bus-bus. Yeah, see, very confusing, these layers. Yeah. But... Yeah, so she had that kind of thing, which I think is still feeding into that same triangle, kind of causing yeah. them to want to kill each other. But she was sick, and her sickness was notable. Like, she mm -hmm. was coughing, and you're like, oh, is she going to die? What's happening? And mm -hmm. she kept being really sick, and she'd have a fever, and it didn't have anything to do with anything. Unfortunately, this movie had a lot of, like, I don't know if they are red herrings or failed checkoffs <laughs> items or what you would actually call them. But there were a lot of misdirects or things that might be misdirects, but don't seem as intentional as a misdirect. It, they yeah. seem more like they were something that was put in the plot and then forgotten about. And so they were just loose threads at the end. Or Like the whole history of the goodbye guy. Right, right. An example of that, which I think is less misdirect and less untied thread and more just failing to take advantage of something that would have been awesome is that when they got to when he, Elliot got to the library to do the research about the reporter who had gone crazy it was in the library stacks where it's oh, all yes. on a track and like the shelves all get pushed together like in a big museum or anywhere where they need like to make like really good use of their space. Yeah. It was on this track and you had to like turn a crank to open it up so that you could go inside. I have never seen those in a movie where someone didn't get crushed to death in them. Yeah. That, that was a checkoff situation right, right there. And it's like, I was like, Oh, someone is definitely going to die in there. And I was ready for it. Or, or get, you know, at risk of right death. or almost right. Right. And nothing, like literally nothing happened. And I almost think that they just were filming in a library that happened to have those shelves. And they didn't even think, here's an opportunity. I, mean, I wonder if they were like, well, when we show it, 
people are going to get tense about the possibility, and there you go. We've created tension. Ugh, like, that's no. not good. You don't no. leave unresolved tension. It does make me think, though, about the time that I... Got crushed to death? Was on the East Coast and like Washington, D.C. I think it was around the time that I went to the Women's March. I have a cousin who is a scientist, and she had some connections to a museum, and we got to go and see all these like great things and get this behind-the-scenes tour, and they had those shelves, and I had to force myself <laughs> to go into them to look at the things that they wanted to show us because I was like, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a scary concept and uh, always means one thing in movies and in, not in this one. Yeah. It was very disappointing. Okay. So we haven't at all talked about Elliot's brother and his daughter who show up at the beginning because for some reason, <laughs> Elliot's brother and his wife think that bringing their six-year-old daughter to like a college frat house style housewarming party is a good idea. Yeah. They were making an appearance. But then later they are also there at the end, right? And and Elliot chooses to off himself rather than passing this virus on to his brother, but I think more importantly, his six-year-old niece. Sure. Yeah. But then there's like three or four even in the next five minutes, like, oh, wait, but was it all for naught? And in the end, yes. And in the end, yes, because John wasn't dead and he just blabs it all. His whole thing throughout the movie was like, no, I'm not going to not say it. Right? What? Damn it, John. Uh -huh. That was my last note. Oh, good. Ratings. This feels like a tricky one to me. This is your usual... College kids in a haunted house being murdered kind of movie, but it has a fun and interesting idea. But then going back the other direction, the idea is not handled well, it's weakly done, but I'm always into this, you know, mental virus thing. That's, that's interesting to me. So I'm kind of stuck in the middle of those things. I'm going to take it slightly above average and give it three and a half keys in a pan on a stove just to... To acknowledge that it's a little bit more than the bunch of kids getting murdered in a haunted house. Okay, I can see that. I wanted to like this movie. Mm -hmm. This is a story that I should have really, really gotten into. And I did. Like, I was, I was intrigued by the majority of the story. But when I think about it, it starts to fall apart so quickly. It really does. And, and in such disappointing ways. Like... It just, again, I think we've said this before recently about some of the movies. It was careless. It was a lack of effort on the part of editing, writing, you know, that whole making the story nice and tight. Yeah. And I don't expect horror movies to be super tight to be good. Like, <laughs> they don't have to all fit just right. But this one... It just was not. Like, all the pieces were loose and jiggly. It was like a mouthful of teeth trying to fall out. Oh, that is a horror movie. <laughs> I thought you would like that. So, you know, and I've used this word several times in this review, and it's the word that she's, keeps coming to mind. There was so much contrivance in it. There's a subtlety that could have been used 
to do all of the same things, but they didn't engage that subtlety. They were just like, I don't know, he'll pull a hammer out of her purse. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that side table is up by the garbage can now instead of out in the woods where he put it, where we made <laughs> them see him put it. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense in too many places. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to give it three keys in a pot on the stove and leave it at that. And I, I mean, I think it's not a bad movie to watch. I wouldn't say don't watch it. I'm just like, just don't expect too much of it. It's going to make you expect things that it's not going to follow through on. So don't be disappointed. It turns out, though, that this movie has an evil twin. Yes, it does. What was the evil twin today? It was Goodnight Mommy from 2014, an Austrian film that is about as hard to watch as you would expect an Austrian film to be. (laughs) Uh, It's the story of a mom coming back home from apparently like facial reconstructive surgery. She's all, you know, stitched up and covered with bandages. And her twin boys are like, you're not our mommy. Oh, they're they're a little more subtle about it, but that's the gist yeah. of the story is that they spend the whole movie feeling like she's not really their mom anymore. Yeah. And yeah, that's what it's about. It is a horror film with all sorts of other pieces to it. Yes. But it felt like there was this underlying idea. I wonder if someone who made this movie has twins. Yeah. Because it felt like there was this underlying idea of how close twins are and how as a parent you always kind of feel like you're on the outside yeah, of they were, this definitely. relationship because they have bonded in a way. I don't know. It just, it was an interesting family dynamic piece that is not addressed overtly and at any point in the movie, but like the whole movie seems to be about it because these two boys do everything together and they understand yes, they each other. Really do. They like say the same things together and you can see that the mom always sort of feels like she's on the outside looking in. Yeah. And there's more to it to complicate that relationship. Oh, so much more. But we can't talk about that. I kind of wish we could talk about this movie at at length because I have questions. I mean, there are thoughts to be had about this movie. (laughs) One, just basically, the mom is really abusive to her children, and I did not like it. No. But also... The children are really abusive to this person that they think might not be their mom. I guess there's that. But still, it's it's a really it was, brutal, unfriendly situation. Even if you took away the fact that it was being done by a pair of, like, 10-year-old boys, mm-hmm. this movie con- contained some of the most brutal torture we've seen in horror movies yeah. to date. And then you put on top of that that it's being done by children and it's like that much worse. Yeah, that's what I wanted to note about this movie is that it is torture. Yes. It's a torture film. And that's not so fun. No. This one definitely falls into a niche category of horror films that I would say very few people would actually enjoy watching. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about it is it's an interesting situation and there's a lot to think about. And then it kind of devolves into torture. Yeah. So I wish they hadn't gone that way. I wish they had just explored the ideas more. On the other hand, it was one of the movies I would definitely classify as horror. Yeah. 
from this month. Horror at that in that core sense of like this is a thing that is terrifying and we're going to make you swim around in it for two hours and you really can't escape it yeah but i'm afraid we can't say too much more about it because there's there's too much to give away yeah how would you rate goodnight mommy the big kicker for me is that i was very disappointed in the ending i needed some more kind of closure one way or another i'm left unsure of many things after this movie and i mean maybe that's my fault because it's art and i'm supposed to interpret it i don't know it is definitely an artistic film if you consider bloody torture to be artistic (laughs) right because it's full of big ideas and is i don't know artsy makes you think that brings it up and the bad stuff brings it down i i'm gonna have to just i hate to i hate doing it but i have to give it three kerosene kitties out of five one thing in this movie's favor for me is that like you were saying it's an artsy film Mm -hmm. and it is an artsy film like i think there is depth to it i think that the choices that were made in terms of music and lighting and setting and mm-hmm. even the clothing and like literally everything about this movie there were choices made that contribute to the scariness of it and the vibe of it all of that was done really well i think that there was a lot of thought put into it i think the people who made this movie knew what they were trying to say And honestly, I think they probably said it. I don't know that I understood what they were saying entirely. But I think I got a lot out of it in terms of like the message, not I am a better person having watched this movie. But I do think like I picked up on a lot of what they were trying to say. I think there was maybe a little bit of lost in translation stuff or that I just, you know, cultural things, nuances that I wouldn't have picked up on. But it wasn't a movie trying to be artsy. It it was a yeah. movie that was artsy, which to me is is that that is a huge divider. <laughs> well, and that's where I run into difficulty with my rating is I feel like I should rate it higher because where I'm rating it down is I'm like, I don't like to look at torture, but that's what they were presenting for artistic reasons, I guess. I mean, they really could have done that stuff in a more, uh, you know, Hitchcock kind of, we're not showing it to you kind of way. And maybe I I would have liked that better. But is it fair to downrate a movie because it's just stuff you don't like to look at? I don't know. I don't think it's bad. I think I think you get to decide. I mean, I downrate movies because I don't like to look at women being abused for no reason. Like, I think we get to decide what we approve of and what we don't. Yeah. And so I have no problem with you giving it a three. That being said, I'm going to give it a four Mm -hmm. because while I don't want to watch people be tortured, I don't want to watch some of those horrific things that, that were done. Like when I express myself creatively, I tend to express myself in a horror vein. Yes. And so I understand where some of those things come from. And as a creator of stories such as I am, you know, to to the limited level that I am, I can look at the horror in this and see that it wasn't done gratuitously. Like it was part of the story. It wasn't, we want to see blood. Mm-hmm. It was, this character is making this choice for these reasons. And it flows and it makes sense and it's horrible 
And that's the point, right? Like I can appreciate that. So because we rate things personally, I can't give this movie a five, which I think it probably deserves Mm. because I can't come up with any reason why I'm subtracting points, except that it was really, really unpleasant to watch. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not, for me, it's not about like blood or things like that. It's about seeing pain and agony and like, I, you know, you want to look away. And the intentionality behind it. Yeah. It was being done. Brutality. Yes. Brutality is a good word. So I know I said four earlier. I am even going to bump it up to a four and a half. Oh no. I think this movie was really good. Like, it was really well done. And the unwatchability of it is part of how well it was done, you I mean, know? That's, that's I guess, good horror. Right? So, yeah, I'm going to give this four and a half kerosene kitties. Yeah. If there's anybody listening who truly, truly appreciates horror movies for the horror of them, not gore necessarily, but horror, this is a movie to watch. It's very psychological. That being said... If you watch it just, you know, for the fun of it. Ghosts. Maybe don't watch this one. Because it's it's one that's likely to actually cause you psychological trauma. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you know, it, oh, I'm going to mention it again. This is the second time this month. House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> I would put this movie in a similar genre in the sense that there's like it's that horrible 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 things that you're looking at that you don't want to look at but that is put together in a way that is meaningful for something that you do want to experience Hmm. does that make sense yeah i mean i don't know if you want to experience this this is very bleak and it's emotions it's just not positive ones i mean i think a lot of people like to experience that range of emotions we don't watch movies just for fun and happiness and giggles or things like you know the hurt locker wouldn't exist yeah so yeah i think i think that there is an experience to be had with this movie but i think it's an experience that most people are going to wish they didn't have yeah and that's how i feel and now you've made me raise my rating i'm gonna do it really i'm just gonna raise it because yeah it deserves four kerosene kitties out of five from me all right yeah that's just what i'm doing So, what about tomorrow? Are we going to be psychologically traumatized again? I don't know the answer to that because I don't know what's going on with these movies. Tomorrow, we're going to see Black Rock from 2012, along with the obvious evil twin, Black Sheep from 2006, not the Chris Farley movie. (laughs) Yeah, because you know, rocks and sheep are very similar. Yes, basically the same. As long as they're the same color, they're almost identical. (laughs) One's a little softer than the other. (laughs) That was, yeah, that's the best I could come up with for that. I was kind of surprised. I see the connection. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, I'll meet you back here tomorrow to talk about Black Rock and Black Sheep. Okay. See you then.
I was editing an earlier podcast, and I was laughing too much, and it sounded stupid, and I hated it. So that was no, a thing. No, you sound funny when you laugh, in a good way. Like, ho, ho, ho. Well, that's not how you... Ho, 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 ho. Well, don't laugh like that. <laughs> 